Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of the Godzilla Roundtable. Today, as always, I am joined by. And today, I am happy to be. I'm happy to be joined by our second and third guests, respectively, Eric and Alec from Monsters vs. Men, which is where I made my first Godzilla podcast debut, actually, for a King of the Monsters episode. Yeah. Bonus episode. Wow, <laughs> I didn't realize that was your first appearance. Yeah, that was. I was on Google's cast before. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks. And basically, as always, to start us off with any guests I have on, how did you guys get into Godzilla? Though I know Eric's journey into Godzilla has been recorded. Yes. Well, Alex, why don't you start? Yeah, so my, my I've been watching Godzilla films since as long as I can remember. I, I would imagine that, like most kids, that my journey started with dinosaurs and very quickly evolved or mutated in Godzilla's case into Godzilla films and I since then I've just been enamored with it I used to have the VHS's of Megalon the original King of the Monsters version of Gojira and uh, Terror of Mechagodzilla and of course I guess Revenge of Godzilla I guess is what it's called or Godzilla's Revenge Mm -hmm. and uh, that was the one that I ignored mostly as a child uh, and I still choose to do so (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, Eric, what about you? I mean, I, I think I heard you're, you're new to this. Yes. <laughs> well, I so I am the crash of Monsters vs. Men, right? So Alex drugged me on this journey with him as we made our way through all of the Godzilla films. I have been a Godzilla fan for less than a year. It's coming up on a year at this point. But I've been a Godzilla fan for less than a year. But I, as Alex likes to tell people, I've become the bigger nerd throughout this process. <laughs> so, like, I'm I'm like walk, watching, you know, Champions Festival cuts and telling Alex about it, and and really diving deep into Ultraman. And Alex yeah. is like, "What are you doing, man? You've become like the biggest nerd of all time." I'm like, "I just, I'm just loving it. I'm loving it." Yeah. And I and I and I also managed to get you. Into anime because you asked me, um, uh, what's your Ruchi animation I watched before the anime trilogy? Yeah. So I've really, you've really gotten immersed into their culture. Absolutely. Also, because once again, on a guest episode, I fucking forgot to say my name. <laughs> Hello, as always, this is Fayer Mulder. And because I forgot to say the damn movie we're doing, this is Ibra Horror, Horror of the Deep, otherwise known as Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. Yes. <laughs> no, Faye, you're, you're absolutely right. You also. Uh, turned me on to Fate Zero, so I, I appreciate yes. that recommendation. Quite, quite the recommendation. Mm. Recommendations are like my love language. So if someone recommends something to me, I have an <laughs> obligation to go watch it or go read it. That's that's so not true. <laughs> I was trying to get him into anime for a long time, and he got into it for a little while, but for reasons we can't really go into, he stopped. And then he went and listened to me. And then you drop like one recommendation, and suddenly he's like, Oh, yeah, I'm about to wrap up Fate Zero. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So yeah. <laughs> I, I generally, it was just like. Because it was just on one of David Kaiju Apostle's things. Mm-hmm. Something about the anime trilogy. And I was like, I think if people watched like Urobuchi stuff first, people would like it a lot more. So I just like, hey, Eric, before you do these, um, I think you should watch like one of his shows first. And then it just happened. I was like, oh, okay, wow. Wow. 
That's all it took. That's all it took. (laughs) This has been the most insulting podcast I've ever been on. Uh, I just like Bay more than you, Alec. I'm sorry. (laughs) Fair enough. I can't really blame you. Oh, my God. All right, let me get this back on topic before we, before we keep talking about anime. Um, so as always, we rate the movie first. So what would everybody here rate rate Ebira Horror of the, Horror of the Deep? Hmm. You can go okay. first, Crash. Um, I'll let you go. I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10. I liked it a lot, okay. but I kind of felt mm-hmm. a little on the weekend, personally. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of fun to watch. Hmm. Okay, how about you, Tom? Uh, yeah, I'm going to crash. I rated it four stars on Butterbox, but uh, it's probably more of a 7.5 out of 10. I, I liked it mm-hmm. a lot, actually. Just probably not the strongest show movie, but it's still a solid movie. Okay. Hmm. And now for our guests. Uh, for me, I you know, I, on a Mars show, I gave it a 3 out of 5. And now, mm-hmm. for me, it's going to be a... a seven out of ten and i don't know if it's because i'm coming off camera <laughs> or it's one of those movies where every time i think about it i like it more and it's for me it's it's a seven out of ten now yeah I, man we're on the same page here alex which somehow surprisingly seems to happen a lot um but I, i'm giving it a seven out of ten as well i originally rated it a three out of five on our podcast but i, I rewatched it a couple times this week and this is a movie that just gets more and more fun each time you rewatch it. The characters are lovable, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, the effects, though not always my favorite, uh, are serviceable, really serviceable. Um, and I, I like Fukuda's style and direction mm-hmm. that he's taking this series in. Uh, as his first entry, I think it's a really solid uh, first entry for Jun Fukuda. That is true. That's a perspective I did not think about. Mulder was telling me that. Yeah, this is kind of a kind yeah. of a new era, or like technically. With yeah, it is. It's it. basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can really. So, thing with that mindset, I guess I can be a little more forgiving. Because, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it is very unique for that. Very different than the last few months I've seen. Mm-hmm. See, for me, I'd also second basically everyone's opinion. For me, it's a solid 7 out of 10. <laughs> it, it It's good and it's really fun. <laughs> But I don't think it's Bakuda's height, per se. Mm, and yeah, yeah, Crash, I would agree. This is kind of an early start to the 70s kind of Godzilla stuff, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. It's kind of like an in-between era of it. Yeah. Which I guess brings us to our first topic. How does everybody feel about the more lighter tone seen in Ebira Horror of the Deep compared to stuff like, say, like Ghidorah or Astro Monster? Or even King Kong vs. Godzilla, which despite being pretty comedic, I'd say is overall a bit more serious in tone than, than Ebira. It caught me up, alright. <laughs> it, <was a> little... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it was it was fun though. I liked it. It's nice to see something fresh when you have a series like these off for a long time. I think it really delivered on that. Because it, it was kind of like, it kind of was made for a teen audience, sort of. And, yeah, it yeah, was. With the younger characters and stuff, you know, the corn and it's kind of, I guess, illegal. But, yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> I like it. I like the lighter tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? Um, yeah, the tone, um, so, this is really fun. So, not this one, but 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the mysterious island yeah. from Ray Harryhausen. Hmm. Yeah, I- I'm right there with you. I- the tone is—it caught me off guard when we went through the series the first time because it really—I mean, <laughs> other than King Kong vs. Godzilla, it really kind of feels mm-hmm. a little off. But going back now. I really appreciate it. And Eric kind of mentioned it earlier, but the more I watch this mm-hmm. movie, the more jokes and like humor and the mm-hmm. more willing for to go along on the ride I am with this movie. Yeah. It's it's been it's a fun it's a really fun one and I'm all in on it now, much more so than it used to be. I think there are two things that make the tone work, really. Mm-hmm. Um, one, it's the island adventure setting. Right. Uh, yeah. Like that automatically lends itself to this lighter feel and this lighter tone. Now, it is kind of serious mm-hmm. that they stumble upon a nuclear bomb facility, but <laughs> the <laughs> island adventure theme kind of starts from the beginning with this mm-hmm. tale of, of this Scooby Doo type gang getting into yeah. trouble by finding themselves out at sea. Right. But mm-hmm. the characters also, it's just the characters have a, a lightness to them, especially like our uh, two side characters. Uh, Jenta is my favorite of the, the side characters. He's the mm-hmm. one who has the seizure on the dance floor. And then <laughs> yeah. later, he's the one that wants to help out uh, the infant islanders the most and finally uses mm-hmm. his brain to come up with, with a solution. Jenta's such a fun character. And of course, Akira Takarada, his his role here is so different than many of his other roles, but he, mm-hmm. he sells it, and he also brings that fun to this tone, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, for me, with the lighthearted tone, I think it works to kind of... Because something I've been, I've been kind of noticing, I know this probably wasn't on purpose, but with the Showa stuff, for like, I'd say the first nine movies... The odd-numbered movies um, uh, are the ones that are, like, more serious hmm. up until this point. Because this is movie number seven. But this is the one which kind of breaks the trend. And this is, like, one of the lighter-hearted ones. I don't know if that was intentional, but it just happened. I think it's interesting. But, yeah, I think the lighthearted tone works because it adds something new to the franchise. Because I feel like especially after Astro Monster, which is such a serious movie despite the moments of levity, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I think it makes the franchise feel fresh. And I also think that at the time, because just to bring in some history, at this point in the 60s, um, the, tel- the television in- industry in Japan was starting to quickly outpace the film industry. Right, and yeah. they kind of had to find new ways to bring in people. So, of course, with Ebira, you have them trying to bring in the teenage audience, which is why there's such a focus on, like, dancing... <laughs> And, and and the more like funky music. Yeah, Godzilla was totally too musical ago. score. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you have like the more like the fun plot. Like it definitely does feel like a Scooby Doo gang. Yeah. And then you have a bit more of a let's just say fan service element to this movie compared to prior ones. <laughs> and yeah, mm-hmm. and were kind of, I guess not comical, but kind of how evil they were. Kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot more super villain. 
yes. than kind of the more gray prior villains yeah. of the prior movies I mean, who are feel a bit more realistic and grounded. That stairs out with two. That really caught me up. Which I guess something else I'll mention. There's a lot of returning actors in this movie. Yeah. Because yeah. you have a you have Akira Takarada back as the, as the bank robber who they who they just happened to steal the boat he was in, which I love. <laughs> just a coincidence of that. Then you then you have then you have Kumi Mizuno back as Dayo the infant islander main character of the film and then you have oh shoot i'm gonna get dragged for this <laughs> oh what is sarazawa's actor's man. name your career is uh, over is it akihiko harada that's it that's it thank you eric you saved my ass <laughs> akihiko harada's back for the first time i think i, I don't remember him coming I back before was, this like he had to have yeah. an eye patch again <laughs> that's yeah that's, that's really funny he has <laughs> the eye patch again true. but this time but this time he's he's villainous, is which is why he died. Other eye eye this time, he didn't die to the hydrogen bomb. He's got amnesia. Um, actually, Crash, it was the oxygen destroyer. My bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's like really funny because that's why Crash, you're joking that it was Sarah that was evil twin. <laughs> I was just so surprised. I mean, it's been a while since Kevin Gia saw it. I was like, oh my gosh, he's bad. Yeah. And he, he looks the same. <laughs> really funny. So yeah, so it's really fun to have those returning actors come back and spot them, even if they're playing different roles. And speaking of returning actors, there's something behind the scenes that I think is really interesting with Ebira, like I was telling you, Crash and Ton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure Eric and Alex already know this, but this movie started life as a King Kong film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was not originally a Godzilla film. Which is why you have some weirdness, like Godzilla not being hurt by electricity initially. And you also have him being infatuated with a human woman, which was <laughs> not part of his character before this. So odd. So odd. It, it's odd, but it kind of works. And overall, I feel like they managed to do a good job of making this feel like a Godzilla movie, not a King Kong movie. Yeah. They managed to make it work just enough, but there still was those really weird moments. Like him being so infatuated with Dio. <laughs> yeah i mean it also plays with the uh king kong element of just everything being a gigantic version of a normal thing which is like we get yeah. the giant condor we get a giant oh thing. man <laughs> that I, it, that is in my opinion the funniest moment of the entire show of franchise fight wise because it's just so comical it just comes out of nowhere just starts pecking Godzilla, and then Godzilla just fries it, and that's it. No one even talks about it. Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, that happens. And they slap, they slap that music onto it too when he starts yeah. attacking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're kind of moments like. <laughs> really yeah. Something which I think... didn't really. Oh, sorry. Go first. No, you're good. Uh, I was I was I was gonna say I was trying to think of like what is the reason of this moment, um, this time watching it. And to me, I think it's it's the start of a shift where Godzilla is becoming a protector in a sense, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's not necessarily needed because he remains the protector after he fights the Condor, after yeah. and he fights the you know fighter jets. So yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It marks that shift, I think. But it uh-huh. is funny. I like the moment just because of how off the wall it is. It is. <laughs> And and I guess something interesting there with him becoming a protector, just from a I guess quote unquote canonical point of view, I don't think anyone was really trying. It's just interesting though how, how at this point in time the human character still like should we wake up Godzilla? He could destroy everything. Yeah, like, <laughs> like we have to balance this out. Like, his, <laughs> his ratio is still like 
too disagree. He's still not yeah. a good guy yet. Still not more evil than bad. I mean, evil than good. Yeah. So, uh, that hesitancy is pretty justified. Yeah. 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 In- <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to win. Well, yeah. I like and I ending. guess. Oh, so sorry. That, go first, Eric. Yeah, I was going to say, I yeah. just like the ending, and it marks that shift, too, I think, mm-hmm. honestly, is in, in that, that very last scene where mm-hmm. they the, the human characters feel that sympathy towards Godzilla. They want Godzilla yeah. to escape, and it's not necessarily like Godzilla has been a good guy. He's been pretty neutral overall. Mm-hmm. He did have that protector moment, but he's not necessarily a good guy at this point. I think that ending where they wish him good luck and they wave goodbye Mm -hmm. to him it really marks that shift in audience expectations maybe and also in june fukuda's direction overall and the the way that he takes the series moving forward yeah i I think you're right my my favorite moment at the end was when they're telling him like jump godzilla jump like they realize (laughs) that he really is just like this monster and has like no he's just completely ambivalent yeah, and I think you're right, Eric. That is like when the that is the moment this entire franchise shifts Godzilla. It does. <laughs> the funniest thing is though is um with the oh go first, Crash, because because it's a tie. Yeah, to I was gonna say um that, so one of my favorite tropes I've noticed so far with Godzilla is um every now and then monsters will just jump off the fucking cliff and into the water. <laughs> I guess this is one of my favorite moments of that because he gets himself prepared. It's like a little weasel. He jumps off the cliff. <laughs> And I was so happy. I love seeing that in these movies. That's the top line. Godzilla takes Godzilla. And and you also crashed Gotcha Godzilla Mountain oh, yes. Peak back because it's been a while. <laughs> you you also let a podcast from. Um, <laughs> I know some things like sometimes. Every now and then as well, Godzilla or other monsters would keep their head over a cliff and just kind of look over. <laughs> He's almost mm-hmm. seeing everybody. It always makes me laugh. <laughs> Which I guess to get to get into Jun Fukuda, I think Jun Fukuda is possibly the most fascinating Godzilla director besides Yoshimitsu Bano, personally, because I don't know if everyone knows this, but Jun Fukuda hated his Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he got asked in the '90s about them, he was like, "They were all trash. There should have been no Godzilla sequels." <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> he hated them, like like Honda. You could tell Honda had some mixed feelings on some elements of them, but he overall was pretty fond of them. Fukuda Flout said there should have been no sequels, <laughs> and he said his movies were awful. Man, which, I, which I totally don't agree with. I don't agree with either, but I just think it's so interesting. It is. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it's because of if he saw Godzilla, because I think that a kind of big misconception is that only America took Godzilla as a joke. Because Japan also, it's people act like Japan was not in on the fact that these movies were goofy. They totally were, especially the later ones. And this even hit the original one to a degree. And I'm not sure if that influenced Fukuda being like, yeah, I kind of fucked it up. You know, my, in, my, in my opinion, he did not at all. But I'm just not sure if, if he, because he constantly got the derision that they had, that affected his, his viewpoint. But it certainly is interesting that he was not positive on these films, yeah. in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Um, I, 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 I
Same. That's, that's a great effect too. Holds up really yeah. well. Yeah, really it looks nice. amazing. It almost reminds me of the intro of Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I want to my. Oh, could mm-hmm. be. I mean, Del Toro's a huge Godzilla fan too. He mm. is. That mm. moment, yeah, that moment in particular is actually my favorite Ebra moment, <laughs> which is, is, I know it's, it stinks because we, we see more of him later on, but it's kind uh-huh. of that Jaws effect, right? You hold yeah. back a little bit um, and you, you just show us a piece and that piece uh-huh. is more terrifying than the whole. And I think yeah. that's exactly what we get in that initial scene. It also helps mm-hmm. that it's at night and it's storming, right? Yeah, which um, is this great atmosphere. Yeah, it is. It's terrifying. But you know, sticking with Fukuda for a second, it is a shame that he looks back on these films and doesn't see them for for what I see them and what most fans yeah. see them as, which are really just fun, lighthearted rewatchable films i i put a mm-hmm. poll on on twitter you might have seen this Faye, about which yeah. films do you feel like are the most rewatchable and you know show of films had 50 percent um, yeah they they won by a landslide yeah and i think the reason for that it, it comes down to the characters and just the way that they interact with each other you grow familiar mm-hmm. with these characters they're fun you can just turn on Ebra Horror of the Deep. You don't have to pay a ton of attention to really have a great time with the mm-hmm. movie on a lazy Sunday afternoon, right? Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I think Vakuda is is missing out on, or maybe not missing out, but he's 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 overlooking the fun aspect that he brought to this franchise, mm-hmm. which I think is a shame. Yeah, and, for and sure. see like oh oops, oh sorry Alex, go first, and I'll say well, what I have to say. There you go. Um, I, I was just going to say, I, I completely agree, Eric. And I, I think this is a top three Fukuda film, at least in the Godzilla franchise. I mean, he brings mm-hmm. the fun here. Now, I do think that something like Terror of Mechagodzilla, or not Terror, but uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla is probably mm-hmm. his finest Godzilla work. But he brings the fun, and he brings something unique. Now, I totally understand, maybe from his point of view, that he had a studio just kind of telling him what to do, essentially, and just... They turned them into the B team at this point. I can't yeah. imagine that, at least ego-wise, that didn't probably feel very good. Yeah, because that is one thing with this. Um, like I told you guys last time, Ton and Crash, on our last episode, mm-hmm. um, this was the end of the Golden Era, per se, where you had Honda, Subaraya, Tanaka, and um, Ifakube as like the A team. Fukuda, unfortunately, like Alex was saying, was very clearly used as the B team. Yeah. Oh shoot, who was E.G. Surprise protege who did Fukuda's films? Ooh, I can't remember. <laughs> because because Subaraya did not do these films. He had his protege come in and do them. So I I can also imagine that must have felt like a slap in the face that Subaraya not involved himself in Fukuda's hmm. films. Yeah, and I think and, the studio explicitly said to him that they wanted that they brought him on because he could work on a TV show budget. Yeah, 
Oof. And they took advantage of that later with Zone Fighter, where they had him be the showrunner for that. And he hated it even more than the show of Godzilla films. Because he, he was like, when the interviewer brought up Zone Fighter, he was like, don't even, don't even talk to me about that show. <laughs> oh, like really? He like yeah, he, he, yeah he, was, he said he liked his sci-fi films that weren't tied to kaiju. Interesting. Ugh. Yeah. It's a shame, and unfortunately because he passed away, I believe, in 2000. He never really got to see his Godzilla films get reevaluated. Yeah, and I think that's kind of part of it, because even the '90s Honda was still very much looked as not exactly like a Kurosawa, but he had a bit more respect. I feel like, like Martin, like Martin Scorsese was a very big admirer of him, for example. Oh. And Fukuda, I don't think ever got that, and that's just a shame. Yeah, and I think that definitely affected it. Um, Crash, do you have anything to say about Fukuda? I know you just started, so unlike <laughs> all of us, you don't really have like the rest of the filmography. Yeah, so no, I don't really have much to say about it, but like, I could definitely feel this shift in Godzilla so far, and I'm really interested and excited to see where it goes, because you can't just do mm-hmm. the same thing over and over again. You gotta like expand, do something fresh, so I can really appreciate him for trying to do that with these, even if he doesn't feel so strongly about them anymore, or did. But mm-hmm. that's something to admire, at least. Trying to do something different and not just repeat it what done before. It He's, is. And, oh, sorry. Go first, Eric. I was going to say, you know, speaking of, of the B team, what, what did you mm-hmm. all think about Sato's score? Because I, okay, I, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I love it so much. It. <laughs> crash, Crash, I know you kind of memed on it a bit, but I'll let Tung go first. Yeah, um, so I'm sorry. Yeah, and 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 like what I love about that bit specifically is it looks like Godzilla's dancing. Yeah, like it looks like he's dancing to the music. <laughs> like a little dance. That whole Jeff like plays. <laughs> <laughs> and I personally I have to say, um, I think this is a great improvement over his Rage Against score personally. Oh he did Rage Again? I, yeah. And I was not yeah. huge on that because I felt like that was a very Eh, score personally. Yeah. I saw it, it was kind of generic. But this though has so much life to it. Yeah. And this is what you expect from the composer of Kurosawa's works. Mm. Like like this is really him like bringing his own energy and like style to it. And I love it. It really sets it apart from Ifakube's style. And I like having like these two opposing styles. Like Ifakube's more serious or- orchestral stuff. And then you have Sado's pop culture pop mm-hmm. influenced <laughs> aesthetic in this. Yeah, I mean, anytime someone can put their own stamp on the music, it's a pretty mm-hmm. big sign. But it's like you said, Raids Again, it, for me, it felt pretty hollow, music-wise mm-hmm. as well. And <laughs> there's definitely an original vibe on this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like I said, I do agree with, agree with Eric and Crash and Tone that my favorite moment here is that bit of Godzilla dancing while fighting the Jet Fighters. It is just... <laughs> 
It's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> and I guess that brings me to another point I've had in mind. Every horror of the deep evidently is not super focused on having a message or a moral. Well, that was another funny thing that came back in this one too at the end, the last minute moral. Yeah. But I feel like though, Crash, unlike King Kong vs. Godzilla, where they kind of try to try to do it seriously, yeah, they said they're kind of making fun of themselves sure. here. <laughs> they're, they're because because um, yeah, I love that bit. Thanks <laughs> yeah. for that, Professor. Like, shut up. This isn't meant to be that serious. The only message I feel like you can kind of take from it is slavery is bad. Which honestly, <laughs> as much as that might sound like hot take for the time. It being only 21 years after slavery ended in Japan, um, it actually kind of is a good message. I just don't think the movie is super focused on it, but I'm glad it's there. Which, I guess something else that came to my mind, I'm sorry that I'm like, that I'm jumping to another point, this just hit me too. Um, do you think the Red Bamboo similarity to, to Imperial Japan is on purpose, or is it just a coincidence? Ooh. I think that's a good question. <laughs> Maybe, you know, I didn't even think about it. I, I, I almost want to say coincidence, but it, it is kind of so similar, it's hard to completely dismiss. Because they're taking over islands, they're using islanders for forced labor, their garb is very Imperial Japan in style, they have that same command system. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> oh, they're just flat out Nazis. <laughs> yeah, they do because because they yell Banzai a lot. Yeah, so I think that kind especially with the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think that's probably... You could be hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. yeah Crash and Eric. I've, I've oh, sorry. About, I've never thought about it too hard before, but mm-hmm. it seems it seems like it would be a, a tough coincidence to, to be, right? Yeah. Uh, I think there's something to be said here, not a deep message necessarily, but mm-hmm. we've got the the group, our Scooby-Doo gang, and, and they come yeah. to this island, and they really have to kind of navigate two groups of people. They have to navigate the kind of corporation slash terrorist group slash mm-hmm. governmental organization, Red Bamboo, but then they also mm-hmm. have to navigate relationships with... Um, the, these natives, right? These the, the yeah. infant island natives, specifically Dayo in particular, who they really bring into their fold, 
And so yeah. I, I like the way that Fukuda has them interact. Um, and maybe that can get us into some of these characters a little bit. But yeah. I'll tell you, my favorite character, and I think this was in our Showa era showdown, which is like our recap of the Showa era on our podcast. I think my coolest character award went to Akira Takarada's Yoshimura from this film. And <laughs> there's something about his character. Have you, have you guys seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I have seen it. <laughs> Wait, there's something about his character in this film that reminds me a little bit of Brad Pitt's character in that film. Like he's, I he's, can see it. Yeah, he's a character you don't want to like because <laughs> mm-hmm. he's kind of sketchy. Right. Yeah. And in, in that film, he's really sketchy. But in here, <laughs> he's kind of sketchy. And but you mm-hmm. still just can't help but just think about how cool he is at yeah. all times. And he's he's kind of bragging about how uh, you know he can pick any lock. I'm a pro at these things. And he's he's like that throughout the entire uh, movie. But he's also mm-hmm. lighthearted. You know, whenever he has the gun at the beginning and he's threatening, you know, the the teenagers, it's not a real gun. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and there's just little lighthearted moments like that that make you think like this guy has some layers. This guy has some depth to him. Yeah, for sure, he's definitely one of the characters that stood out for me. When we first meet him, you know, he's still on the boat. You got to really trust him. But like, you go to like him a lot throughout the movie. He's a lovable character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I feel like they implied that he's non-violent, which I think is interesting. Like the fact that the gun's fake, that he didn't kill anybody, he just stole money, and that and that even after losing the money, he helps them out. Yeah, it's interesting. It is. I like that uh, Ryota <laughs> is the one that ends up kidnapping everybody. I know, he, right? <laughs> he just sails with everybody <laughs> on board. It's just yeah. <laughs> he, he kidnaps what three people? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Which I guess speaking of him. I guess that leads into also the Infinite Islander plot and Mothra as a whole, because oh, Mothra yes. is, is the very much forgotten oh, element of this film. <laughs> yeah, she just she's just sleeping until until the very end of the movie. Then she decides to wake her ass up. I guess I'll help her. I guess I'll carry all the safety. Which, which I guess leads into one of my issues with the film. It's not really a big issue. It's just kind of like, why is this here? Is when Godzilla and Mothra start fighting. Yeah. It's so random. It's like, oh, didn't you two patch it up like two movies ago? Oh, but you're saying tons? It's odd, and it, it, it feels it feels like he was almost pressured to have that moment added in yeah. there because it's just it's completely unnecessary and just inconsequential. It literally leads to nothing. nothing ma- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't try to murder their friend on occasion? <laughs> I mean I, I mean judging by how you and Eric interact on Twitter, I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> well 
Well, we won't be an exception. <laughs> oh, man. And I guess, though, to get onto the bigger topic of the Infinite Islanders, um, unfortunately, I do have to bring up one elephant in the room. Unlike how they were in Mothra 61 or Mothra vs. Godzilla, I'm not sure if it was from budget or what, but unfortunately, they're using brownface in this movie for them. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not sure what happened to lead to it, because... I didn't notice because, it either. <laughs> um, basically, it's very clear when you look at Kumi Mizuno from this and compared to the movie she was just in. Mm -hmm. That's really the big um, sign of it. I'm not sure what happened because hmm. Honda avoided it. I'm not sure if it was budgetary because I do know the budgets got severely slashed for Fukuda's films. Hmm. So I'm not sure if they would just... Because you can even tell um, on Infant Island... First of all, the Peanuts are not back as the fairies. We have a new duo. Oh, the Bambi. And Oh, not the Peanut. I'm mixing up. Oh, no, I am right. You I am right. right. You were right. Yeah, I thought you were... Okay, uh, never mind. There's too many fairy groups. <laughs> yes, the Peanuts are not back. Instead, we have the Bambis. And I think it might have been a, from a cost-cutting effort. Because I know the Peanuts were starting to get really big around this time. Hmm. I also... So I'm not sure... Oh I yeah, also go go ahead. Eric. The Mothra theme song from mm -hmm. our previous films. It, it just doesn't quite feel the same when, they're, when yeah. they're singing a new song here. Yeah, I'm glad it gets interrupted the second time uh, <laughs> by Ryota falling into the middle of it. Oh, that was amazing! <laughs> <laughs> and I really love the coincidence that his brother just happened to end up on Infant Island and oh, not yeah. Devil Island. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many coincidences in this movie, but it's actually just kind of part of its charm because mm -hmm. it just happens nonstop. And something else I've noticed is they kind of imply it's the work of, like, divinity, I feel like. Mm. Yeah. Because you have the prophet, the prophet, um, uh, the, prophet, um, oh, yeah, uh, the fortune teller at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, the fortune... Yeah, the fortune... <laughs> the fortune teller was right and then you notice when Ryota drops um they're like give oh mantra give us a sign that you're listening and then he just fucking drops right after they say it <laughs> so i definitely think they're just trying to say like yeah mantra's kind of leading this in some way i don't know how <laughs> how to help divine mantra <laughs> yeah you, you also get dio uh mm -hmm. there's a couple scenes with her just like praying you don't hear her praying mm -hmm. but she's like there's music yeah. playing, and you hear her, or you see her mouthing words that you mm -hmm. can see are clearly prayers. Um, yeah. But, but you were speaking, Faye, of the, the brown face being one moral component to take a look at, uh, one ethical yeah. component to take a look at here. The other thing is, as much as I love uh, uh, Akira Takarada's character, he, mm -hmm. has that, he has this one line that I just found kind of baffling, and it was to Dio. When Dio is, like, checking out some of the military equipment, and she puts this like piece of equipment around her neck and mm -hmm. he says something to her like uh hey we don't have time for shopping or something like yeah. that oh yeah do your shopping another time and it just doesn't, it doesn't really work that line didn't work for me i'm like that that's just kind of over generalizing uh and not really contextually appropriate for an infant <laughs> islander right yeah, yeah. i, kind of I mean out, but come back anyway it's it's very sixties Japan, is what I'll say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, specifically, Ton and Crash, I guess, but Alex can also <laughs> put in his opinion. 
What do you guys think of the brown face of this? Because I know we have a big... We, we, we do it a lot of time in, in our King Kong vs. Godzilla episode talking oh, about yeah. bad movies that use the brown face. Well, so, the King Kong is definitely much more interesting. <laughs> yeah. But at least here, I mean, brown face is not good. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but I guess at least they weren't portrayed as like savages. Or like... Yeah. It was kind of unnecessary, mm-hmm. I guess. And um, in Mothra, they had like red paint, right? Yeah, but that was more like um like tribal paint. They weren't like, yeah, no, I'm just doing saying, any any black face or brown face. Yeah, just not doing any paint I like I said, the reason why I think it might be budgetary is they may not have had the money to get the extras they had in Matraverse. So they might have had to just make do with regular Japanese people, who on um not to generalize, but Japanese people tend to be on the paler end of things. Mm-hmm. Like, I know Kumi Mizuno, who's the most obvious example of it, is very pale naturally. Hmm. Yeah. And it's basically, it's not malicious, it's just... Yeah, it maybe it's a little Japan's, but... Japan's a, homogene, a homogeneous country as a whole, so when they see a problem, they're just going to do the easiest solution. <laughs> right. If that makes sense. Yeah. But do you have anything to say, Tom? Um, yeah. Uh, I I will, but when I saw them, I wasn't sure if they were like spray tan or something. I couldn't tell at first. Yeah, it almost looks like them. Yeah. Now, did. This is the last time they've shown up in the franchise. Yeah, last so time. I wonder... Yeah, so See, that is really interesting, because I do know Toho has done their own self-censorship about their portrayals of the Ainu and other things. Like, um, Eric and Alex, I'm not sure if you guys know, and I know Crash and Ton definitely <laughs> don't. Um, do you know about Half-Human? Only, only slightly about Half-Human. Um, uh, mm-hmm. This was a Shiro Honda's 1965 Yeti film. Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. Okay, basically, um, the plot is a Yeti gets discovered in the Japanese Alps. And the Ainu are portrayed in a not-flattering way. And because of that, Toho has never officially released it since, oh. since, the, beach, since the VHS yeah. days. And this almost happens at Varen as well, because I'm not sure if you guys have seen Varen yet. I think, Alex, you probably have. I'm not sure if Eric's gone to it yet. No, I haven't seen this. Um, Varan, Amma's um, uh, movie also has the Ainu, and they're also not portrayed in the most flattering way, and that movie almost got censored. I'm not sure why it avoided, but Half-Human did. Right. I do, I will say, though, that Half-Human has a more, um, let's just say problematic portrayal of the Ainu, so I do wonder if Toho is just trying to steer away from native depictions because of that. Hmm. Maybe say so. So you might be right, Tom. Yeah, too <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
they're definitely got to feel yeah i i don't think it is i do want to clarify that even even when i met the king congress godzilla i think it's a mix of the times and also the culture sure. where japan just did not have the like okay to make a bit of a hot take it's not like how you'd see blackface show up in american films which is just overt come on what are you doing right it's like in japan i think it's more ignorance and just not having the cultural background to really recognize what's being done is wrong. I think that's why Toho hasn't like censored them the way they have half human, which was just yeah not great. Well, I think it's like any. It's like you mm-hmm. say, oh, go go ahead, Eric. Yeah, it's like you say. Honestly, it's the portrayal of the characters in this one that that, that let me kind of be okay with it more. It mm-hmm. is because. You know, in Half Human, I haven't seen it, but if it's more of an egregious characterization and, and just kind of um, yeah, it's pretty bad. That that type of thing uh, can obviously <laughs> it doesn't look good. Here we actually get more nuanced characters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Dio, I I like her as a character, and there are other Same. characters that you know are are working and show their mm-hmm. like courage and bravery. I don't ever think they're they're portrayed in a negative light. Yeah, they're pretty pretty positively. So I I like them as a character. Of course, you know, looking back, it's it's definitely problematic, and you have to address uh-huh. it for what it is. But I do think we can also say that they're portrayed in a positive light here. I I would definitely agree. Like for example, um, the Infant Islanders, on their own, with a bit of probing, make the fake powder. Yeah. For the spray, yeah. they mm. they decide yeah. to, and they and they basically organize their own escape. Mm-hmm. Which I think is really good. Like if I was still remain portrayed positively, it's not like King Kong vs Godzilla, where they're not portrayed the best. Yeah. But here though, they're still courageous. They're still strong. Like, and early in the movie, they tried to escape. Early on, Infant Islanders. It's just that there's a big giant shrimp there <laughs> that they can't exactly pass. Which I guess to lead in, into my into my last point, um, Ebira has not been seen much, and I think it's kind of a shame because I really enjoy him in this movie. I love his action scenes with Godzilla, especially, in my opinion, the first one, where they're doing the rock volleyball. Oh, yes. And... <laughs> That's a really funny scene, too. They just play volleyball. I love that bit so much. <laughs> and and also the final bit where they're fighting underwater and Godzilla, and Godzilla rips off Ebira's <laughs> claws. That's really metal and really cool. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me because I will always find some way to bring this movie into the conversation. King of the Monsters when he rips off King Ghidorah's head. <laughs> Underwater. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. True. True. I mm. think anything aquatic is pretty cool. Like any aquatic, it is. Obviously Godzilla comes from water, but he's always wearing So any yeah. aquatic monster is really cool to see. Hopefully we get to see more, more of those kinds, but it was cool mm-hmm. for him. Lobster, shrimp, lobster, whatever. <laughs> he's got a <laughs> He's seafood. Exactly. He is. But he was cool. I wish he showed up maybe a little more. Because I like seeing him. Mm-hmm. But when he did show up, he was always cool to see. Do you guys have any thoughts yeah, on, on, on Abira? Or Abira? Yeah, I think he is really cool looking. Uh, you know, I don't think his... I don't think the concept of him is very unique <laughs> mm-hmm. or original, but he's done so well that it's not yeah. really a problem. 
And I'm, I'm like you. I really wish we saw him more. And, you know, the only time we see him again is in Final Wars. Oh, you just spoiled it for Crash. Oh I don't know. When he's going to oh show up again. I don't know. I'm messing hey, around. It's not really a spoiler, Crash, because <laughs> what you'll find out in that film is... Yeah, it's a wild ride. It's not a huge spoiler, yeah, trust yeah, me. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm messing around. Final Wars is a ride. Oh I can't uh, wait for it. I'm so I'll sorry. I'll say this I'm about Everett. I'm going exit now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, everybody. I'll, I'll say this about Ibra. Uh, mm-hmm. The one thing I would change is when he catches the rock between his pinchers, I just mm-hmm. wish he would have crushed that rock <laughs> and pulverized it right there. That would have been, been so yeah. intimidating and so epic. Right <laughs> <laughs> Ton, do you have anything to say about Ibra? Uh, yeah, I really like Ibra. Like I said, okay. Those are so oh, cool yeah. to me. Yeah. I love them. It's really impressive effects, especially. Yeah. And they also make I mean, you got the shrimp there, you got like the mustard, like. He's also the first ever Godzilla kaiju to eat humans, the humans in in, in a Godzilla film. Because Rodan ate people, but he wasn't in a Godzilla film yet. So Ebira is the first time that humans got eaten in a Godzilla film by a monster. Hmm. Which I think is kind of neat. It's... Really, really jarring for the rest of the tone of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Because he just freaking like stabs them and just eats them with his creepy looking mouth. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's really interesting because um obviously every other one doesn't really giant monster that terrorizes people, but here there's a sense of like fear, I guess, because mm-hmm. he he's like surrounding the island, you can't get past him, and he kind of yeah. instills that fear in everybody around there, which I think kind of stands out to me. He's like, if you go out there, you're going to die, as opposed to like the mm-hmm. constant threat of like the other monsters like terrorizing a town or something. Because it's kind of yeah. more like you know the creep. All right, before I do closing thoughts, I do want to say something because Crash wanted me to save this for <laughs> on the episode. Crash, our next movie is Son of Godzilla. Son of Godzilla? He has a child? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Crash. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. You're you're perfect. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Don't make me fight for Sonic Godzilla because that's my favorite Fukuda film. All I can say is I'm. That's. I don't know. He's going to teach someone, child, to protect you. I have no idea what to expect. I don't think it's going to be a your bewilderment will continue throughout the film. <laughs> Let me just—I—I I just have to post a poster because I just—I just need to have Crash's reaction here on tape to what is coming next. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's perfect! Oh my gosh! Oh. <laughs>
<laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god. But his bomb's Matra, we all know this. The Matra's confirmed it. <laughs> I mean, there was Dracula's daughter, son of Frankenstein. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, uh, yeah, there is Son of Kong. That's that's the second King Kong movie. Yeah. <laughs> and next time we'll be joined by Brian T. Alexander for that, which will be really fun. But, but I guess it's time to give our closing remarks on Ibra Heart of the Deep. Um, uh, Alex, do you want to start us off? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Ibra is a underrated Godzilla movie. That, like I said, every time I think about this movie, I like it more. <laughs> And it, it just mm-hmm. it's just so much fun and there's just so much more that I'm catching each time I watch it not that it has a lot of thematic depth but mm-hmm. it does have a lot of character depth that mm-hmm. I don't think you even pick up on the first go around and yeah. it, it's one that I would recommend to probably most people and it's definitely one mm-hmm. of Fukuda's best Godzilla films mm-hmm. oh real quick though because that reminds something and I'm just going to make this real quick because I know we're running out of time um, this is one of only two Godzilla movies to be on Mystery Science Theater 2000, and I think that's unfortunately tainted its reputation. <laughs> yeah. To a degree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one yeah. didn't deserve it. Megalon it did maybe, not, in my opinion. But I yeah, Megalon, Megalon, I think, did. <laughs> but Ivra, in hindsight, I don't think it deserved it. I think it's not deserving. And if anything, Godzilla Rage Again probably does, in my opinion, personally. <laughs> But anyways, let me just get back to our closing thoughts. Eric, do you want to give us some closing thoughts on, on Ebera, Horror of the Deep? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, first off, Crash, I, I would be excited to listen to the next episode to get your initial reactions of Son of Godzilla. <laughs> it's one of those films that was... Re- you thought this film was jarring. Just wait till next week. Uh, it's one of those films, though, that over time has grown on me. So I, I, I won't speak too harshly about it because I actually do enjoy it. Um, what I'll I say, though, it. about Ebra and this this week is I think Ebra is, to me, Jun Vakuda should be marked by his first and his last film. Uh, and I, I absolutely uh, love Ebra Horror of the Deep. We've talked a little bit about the tone and a couple other things that just add to that tone are, are the colors throughout. Right? Yes. It's such a it's it's such a colorful movie from the red it bamboo is. base to the mm-hmm. outfits that all the characters wear. And that just adds to this fun tone um, that is carried throughout the film, whether it's the monster fights mm-hmm. or the dialogue between our Scooby-Doo gang. Uh, so, again, this is one that you can turn on at any time and have a great time with. And it also features one of my favorite images of Godzilla uh, in the entire franchise, and that's when they look down in the cave and they see Godzilla sleeping. I just think yeah. it's such a cute image of Godzilla. <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> Cute Godzilla. All right, Ton, do you want to give us your closing thoughts on, on Ibra Heart, Heart of the Deep? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> All right, Crash. Do you want to give us your closing thoughts on on Ibra Heart of the Deep? <laughs> And I, I do really enjoy it, despite what you might have of what I said. But yeah, I yeah. like the setting was nice. I like the characters a lot. I like the humor of it. Made it a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And it was cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really like it. It's a really unique one. Uh, I have to basically fifth at what everyone's saying. I think Eberhard the Deep sadly got a very bad reputation because of the Mr. Science Series 2000 episode and nothing else because when you watch it, it's a good Godzilla movie. I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, this is a masterpiece or anything, but it's a good, fun Godzilla movie just to turn on and watch. And I hate to say this term, because I hate this term, but it's good to turn your brain off and watch it and just <laughs> enjoy it. And if you do have your brain on, you can look at some things just that are there between the lines and kind of think, you know, hmm, about... But I don't think it has to be deep. I don't think a movie has to be deep to be good. It, and I think Ibra set out to be enjoyable, and I think it succeeds at being enjoyable. And like you yourself have said a lot, Alex, a movie's worst offense is being boring, and mm-hmm. this movie is not boring at all. It's so fast-paced. It, there's always something happening. The characters are a lot of fun. The puppetry, in my opinion, is amazing in this film setting up for how good the puppetry will be in the next film and it just works i think it's i think it's a great introduction to what the later half of the Showa era would be like more often than not so i'd recommend it if anyone wants to give the second half of the Showa era a try mm-hmm. for sure all right before i send everyone off i'm gonna have alex and eric do their classic outro before i do my outro <laughs> Well, Eric, you take the lead and botch it like you usually do. (laughs) So we end all of our podcast with our signature catchphrase, and that's try to stay stay alive. alive. And Alex always messes it up. We're supposed to do it in unison, but he always messes it up. He changes the pacing of it every time. (laughs) That was one of your better ones, I must Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. This was episode seven of the Godzilla Roundtable. I am so thankful to have Alex and Eric here, and you guys can find them at. We are on all your podcasting platforms. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. Um, you can find us on Patreon, Eric Neely and Alex Cornette, or you can leave us feedback at MVMPod.com. And I know you can also find Alex on his own Twitter. Oh, yeah. At Al Cornette. <laughs> and that was and that was episode seven of the Godzilla Roundtable. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll, like I said, we will have Brian T. Alexander on for Son of Godzilla, and I cannot wait for that. Thank you, thank you so much, and good night. Thanks for having us. See you. Good night.